Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Cam Phillips Sadler. She's an associate at Indicator Ventures, a US-based seed venture fund that backs and supports companies leveraging digital efficiencies. And at The Fund, New York's most active seed fund backing local entrepreneurs. She's also the co-director of the Black New Venture Competition, largest pitch competition for Black entrepreneurs in the nation. Before joining the investment space, Cam founded Dream Outside the Box, an app-driven social franchise model connecting college workforce with students for career-focused experiences, an organization that was recognized by President Barack Obama. Cam was a first-generation college student at University of Missouri and is currently a second-year MBA student at Harvard Business School. Thanks for joining us today, Cam. We're glad to have you on. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So jumping right in, can you tell us about the journey from dream outside the box to venture investing? How was it like leading a social enterprise? What motivated you? And how was the recruiting process to get into the investing space? Absolutely. So I created Dream Outside the Box when I was an undergrad. I grew up in a world where I didn't have a box. The only box I had was the barn I was raised in. And so when I went off to the University of Missouri and started volunteering with children, I'd ask them kind of about their interests and their career aspirations. And I was discouraged by what I heard. I wanted to broaden their horizons. And so I went in and created Dream Outside the Box to be able to expose them to career possibilities they wouldn't otherwise see. That what started as an organic movement that I thought would be overnight ended up growing in a movement where college students charter chapters and we partner them with elementary and after school programs around the nation. And so today, college students go in and do hands on experiential learning using the app that we build and our infrastructure and, and scaled from there. And so Dream Outs of the Box was a, a, an opportunity to serve as a founder for 10 years. And I often say that. Being a founder of a nonprofit and being a founder of a startup, the challenges faced are not that different. You have to stay up worrying about, you know, payroll and maybe you're not pitching to VCs, but you're pitching to foundations and private philanthropy. And it does feel like every dollar matters more than you could ever imagine. And so I think it was a wonderful training ground for getting into venture and Interestingly enough, and kind of unique to Dream Outside the Box is that in 2015, I really wanted to diversify our revenue and work to expand our reach. And so we launched Dream Delivered, a subscription box service where we shipped career exploration kits to kids around the world. And so I pitched that to kind of some of our backers and got the financial support that we needed in a way that felt very much like venture. And then ran an incubated dream delivered as kind of a traditional CPG startup. And we just kind of pretended like we weren't a nonprofit. So we went through the pathways of customer acquisition. We learned a tremendous amount on, you know, margins and publishing and everything that you can imagine from end to end. We conceived, incubated, devised, and then deployed this subscription box service within our tiny nonprofit office. And so it felt like I got to have two lives, uh, the life of a nonprofit founder worrying about payroll at 2 a.m. and then the life of a CPG startup founder also worrying about payroll at 2 a.m. So those kinds of things um, 
were really helpful. And then we had an opportunity for Dream Delivered, the subscription box side, to grow and scale. We were getting demand globally. I was getting emails from China and Canada and everywhere constantly. And I knew that if I wanted to grow and scale in a meaningful way, I'd need new skill, a, a greater skill set for that. I thought it might be nice not to jump off a cliff and get wings on the way down for once and just learn something from scratch. And so I applied to HBS, really hoping to garner the skill set that I might need in order to grow and scale an entrepreneurial venture. And so I came to HBS and somewhere along the way fell in love with venture and never looked back after feedback from section mates who said, you know, you give really good insight or, you know, you understand the sector in a way that others might not. And having a very non-traditional background as a nonprofit founder and so with a social work degree, it's a different level of valuation that you view founders through. And I think that's been particularly helpful. It didn't make recruiting any easier. It is challenging for everyone and I am no exception. It was a remarkably difficult time. I think if I were to take a step back and say, I did everything that everyone tells you, which is reach out to everyone you know, try to have as many coffee meetings as you can, apply everywhere. And I really did the standard formula and got my heart broken. And I did all the interviews and battled up and rode back into the arena and really just tried to push as hard as anyone else. And so I'm very fortunate to have landed at the fund and Indicator Ventures and, and really excited for what lies ahead. That's amazing. Um, I think ed tech is one of those spaces, especially right now with um, the move of around 2 billion students and teachers online. It's definitely a space that's really exciting in, in venture. The last couple of years has thrown some light on the gap in opportunities and funding for people of color. And since you are um, involved with the Black New Venture Competition, can you talk a little bit about it and how, if that helps bridge some of the gap? Absolutely. I'd say the greatest experience that I had last year at HBS was being a part of the Black New Venture Competition. And I think that will be no exception moving forward. My days today, yesterday, and tomorrow are talking with founders from our Black New Venture community and helping to make introductions for them, helping to give feedback. I re was reviewing decks last night as they've come along since the competition. And I fundamentally believe that every venture fund should have Black founders in their portfolio. I think it's a given. I think it is not revolutionary or you know outside the box thinking. And the fact that that's not the case and the fact that Black founders are such a low percentage of venture dollars today is frankly unacceptable. And so anything that I can do to be able to lend support, to be able to foster that ecosystem is incredibly important to me. I believe that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And so how do we not only provide access to founders to be at the table, but also to help them to interpret said menu and understand the language and the resources and everything that goes into venture? It's not it, in the nonprofit that I led prior to HBS, our tagline was, you can only dream what you've seen. So if you've never seen a cap table, then you don't know how yours should be comprised. If you've never seen a pitch deck, then you don't know the story arc that that is meant to kind of communicate. And not to say that all 
founders don't, but it's important to me that we kind of provide equity and level the playing field in that way. And so anything that I can do to support founders as they go on that journey is really important. And it's it's incredibly exciting work. And we have a, fa- a community of about 200, a little over 200 startups that applied to our first batch, and we'll continue to grow that in year two. And so we are working to provide resources to those founders. We're really excited to continue to grow that community through referrals. And, you know, the best parts of my day are being able to hear about their hopes and dreams and be able to support and make connections that will get them the capital they need to go forth into the next stages of their business. Um, That's great. And I guess along the same lines, as part of my research, I listened to your TED Talk and I want to quote the sentence that I found really reflects what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast and building the female network in VC in general. Um, So it's you said everything that led me to doing what I do now and doing what I do on a daily basis was guidance and support. How do you see mentorship play out in the venture space, especially among women who barely represent around 10% of senior leadership? So I actually don't think that there is any industry I've encountered where mentorship is more important than venture. And the reason I say that is every deal that you evaluate is through your own lens, but how can you understand the context of an, the evaluation of a deal, for example, if you don't have kind of the hindsight of five years before and five years after to be able to understand market trends. There are deals, for example, that I've gotten really excited about and taken back to the partners and they're like, okay, but what about X, Y, and Z? And those are all things I hadn't thought about. So sure, I could have written a check and it may have played out or it may not have, But all of those considerations are things that are incredibly meaningful. And then you can take it with a grain of salt and kind of go your own way. There are things, there are such things as good mentors and not so great mentors. And so it's your analysis, the way in which you carry yourself through the industry, the people that you know can all be impacted by who you're mentored by. And I think venture is a space where it's such a small community Everyone knows everyone. And so mentorship becomes incredibly important. I will say, though, that mentorship can sometimes be a scary word for some. It can be a scary word for someone wanting to be mentored who who feels like it's this formal partnership and formal arrangement and you need someone to enter into kind of I always sometimes think of it like a mentorship contract. And, you know, often I'll see young rising leaders that go to someone and say, I want you to be my mentor. And that's just not how it works. You can be mentored by someone without them ever knowing it. You can be mentored by someone for a day or for a lifetime. And so I think when we give ourselves kind of the freedom to just learn and grow and call it whatever you want, that makes it a lot easier. And it takes the pressure off of the kind of future mentor. So a lot of times when someone who's established in the industry has someone young come to them and say, I want you to be my mentor, they feel a tremendous pressure entering into that arrangement. And so sometimes that can be difficult. And I don't think that it requires such formality as we often give it. And I'm very, very fortunate that I consider many of my bosses at the funds where I've worked to be mentors and will be 
long-term. And there are people that I see in the industry that I'm looking and aspiring to and modeling after that have no idea that they are kind of in my mentorship radar. But again, I'll just reiterate, I think that mentorship is critical and absolutely paramount in venture and finding mentors who align with your values and kind of what it is that you're hoping to learn and grow in is incredibly important. It's not about who has the most unicorns in their portfolio, but finding people who are going to have nice things said about them when they leave the room is what I'd be looking for if I was actively seeking a mentor. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you seem to be at the heart of value creation and impact that a lot of founders around you beat with your time at Indicator Ventures or beat your uh, time with the current black entrepreneurs competition that you're leading with the hundreds of decks that come to you along. You seem to be at the heart of this value creation. Um, so any space and in innovation that excites you at the moment or where you expect to see a lot of activity in the next couple of years or even a few months from now? So it's a little bit non-traditional, but I'm from a rural area in Texas. And I just came back from Texas where we got internet at our cattle ranch for the first time in 10 years. And I think that in light of recent events and as our kind of world continues to shape and grow, the rural internet infrastructure space is really exciting to me, which I never thought I'd be the girl that was excited about geosynchronous satellites and all that kind of thing and broadband. But it's not just as simple as, quote unquote, closing the digital divide. But I really fundamentally believe that we're going to see a tremendous shift from densely populated cities and into rural communities. But more than that, the people who have been living in rural communities for decades have often been overlooked and are a tremendous population of educators, employees and employers, consumers, and really are excited and ready to be able to participate in kind of this very robust infrastructure that we have built. If you're in a rural community and your internet isn't fast enough for you to order Amazon Prime, it's not a matter of whether or not the warehouse can get that package to you. It's about can you even log online with the speed and reliability to be able to place an order, which is not always the case. And I think that's overlooked. And so there are startups that are making internet service providers in rural areas more efficient. And I think that's very exciting. There are companies that are focused on what it might mean to be able to kind of support and meet the rural consumer and others who are trying to make just the pure services play for maybe elderly individuals in rural communities or things like that make it easier for them to access services like Uber or Prime or whatever that may be. So we have really exciting things happening in our cities, but I'm even more excited about the tech that's going to be coming to rural communities. That's so exciting to say that, Cam. Uh, and interestingly, with my time in India and Southeast Asia, we've seen a very similar wave of a new audience who's coming online for the first time with the paying capacity that they can. And like you said, with the infrastructure of now digital 
innovation as well. Uh, that's very interesting. You say that you're seeing a very similar shift in the US and a lot of technologies coming to serve this new audience with a new different format and language also, if you think about it. Uh, that's super, Cam. One final question we have for you is, what advice would you have for all those women who are looking to enter or even just learn about the venture capital industry? Honestly, it's going to sound cliche, perhaps, and really like a Hallmark greeting card, but really don't give up. I remember COVID hit and I was going into spring break and I still hadn't quite established where I was going to be interning. And it was such an incredibly difficult week of it. I say week, but months and months and months leading up to this week of spring break where I realized the world is struggling around me and my little journey is very insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But, and so I almost gave up on even looking for an internship because I was like, this doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. You know, I've met with all of these people. No one likes me, which is not the case. (laughs) And um, really, really almost gave up on a venture role and just kind of kept pushing. There's this cartoon that I always refer back to in my mind where someone, you know, is so close to striking diamonds and they turn back around and they don't know how close they are on that wall. And I think if you can ask for feedback along the way, it's, it's helpful a for your personal and mental and emotional understanding of it's not that I am the worst person for this job, or it's not that I they didn't like me or something like that. It may be that a fund was looking for someone with X particular experience and you didn't have it. And that was helpful to me along the way of just being able to kind of take a rejection and push forward. And I think staying in touch with those that along the way. So, you know, I've had several internship interviews that didn't pan out, but that fund introduced me to someone else or we've stayed in touch or have a call with one of those next week. And, you know, it, maybe I, in one fund particularly, I just didn't have growth equity experience. And then another one, I didn't have private equity experience and there's no world in which I would ever have those things. So no hard feelings, no harm, no foul. It's just not the way that it worked out. And so it was very easy for me to just kind of automatically defer to, I didn't get it. They didn't like me. They think I'm silly and want to give up, but that's just not how venture recruiting works. And it you just have to kind of be able to dust it off and keep pushing. And it's tough, but it'll all work out. Funny enough, I know exactly the cartoon you're talking about. I think I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Well, Cam, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Um, it was incredible to hear you talk about all the initiatives you've worked on in the past couple of years, but also other advice um, and great insights for women and people of color who are looking to enter the industry. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure.